just a quick warning or not so quick warning that we're going to be talking about colonialism, slavery, death, uh, erasure being forgotten and like the existentialism that goes along with that. We're going to be talking about exploitation, unrequited love, painters painting over paintings, falling, diving, plunging, drowning, contagious illnesses, looking, despairing, all sorts of shit. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe skip these next, what's probably going to be 75 episodes. like we're relearning this whole process again today because we took uh, quite a long break to do many things, mostly Nikki doing things, honestly. (laughs) It was a birth break. It was a birth break. It was. So we have a new co-host. She's not here right now, but she's around. She's not here right now. She's around. Her name is Lola. She's perfect. Uh... Yeah, so now we're back, but we don't know, or like at least I don't know how to speak or record. Mm -hmm. And this is legitimately one of the only conversations I've had that isn't about baby stuff for six weeks now. So like, I'm excited for it. Also, I'm worried that my brain doesn't function anymore, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And it's not like the easiest place to get back into conversations <laughs> no. either. Like our texts back and forth this week. <laughs> Nikki texted me this morning. It was like, okay, it's obvious that Joanna Newsom is not human. So what <laughs> species is she? <laughs> Where is she because from? this song is just so intense in particular. Like it's just for me, I think it was like the starting place of me being like, oh, like she's doing something else on Divers than she's done in the past. It was like the starting place where I like just like the overwhelming in awe of her being a different kind than me, (laughs) having a different kind of brain than I do. Yeah, this album and this song in particular is so heavy, is so rich with historical reference and like literary and art world references. Um, It's a lot. So as always, we will try our very best. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you're like yelling at us because we're forgetting something, let us know, please. Mm -hmm. Please. (laughs) We would love that. Even if you just like suspect that there's some other theme going on, like you're probably right and it's probably there. So just let us know. Um, I also feel this is like one of those recordings where I feel like we'd be doing a disservice to the song if it isn't 75 episodes long. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like it has to be so long because I think last night I want to say Sam texted me being like, I think I've spent like eight hours researching this song so far and I'm on verse one, (laughs) which is like. Like, not an exaggeration. Like no. that's, it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe we should just, like, list a few of these sources. Number one mm-hmm. is this incredible article on Cultured Arm by Christopher Laws, which is an incredibly detailed summary of the connections of 
themes and like specific details of Sapoconican. Sapoconican? Is that how we say it? Sapoconican. That's how I say it. Um, and then obviously Blessing All the Birds has, I think, three or four um, posts dedicated just to this song. Um, oh, did we say today we're talking about Sapoconican? Oh, no. We didn't. I don't think that we did. <laughs> okay. We didn't. No. But, you know, I guess you can guess by the episode titles. That's where we've ended. <laughs> that's where we are. Oopsie. <laughs> yeah, Sapoconican. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. And then I just have, like, some stuff from interviews she's done for Entropy Magazine, The New York Times. I, I always like looking at, like, the Medium articles. Um, yeah. Talking about what they think she's been up to. Um but yeah, like Nikki said, it's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of history. There's a lot of like uh, tiny ideas pulled together into some kind of tapestry of wildness that totally. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, I also have some stuff from uh, Michael Hicks. So wait, so if for the anecdotes episodes, I think I was ambitious and I was like, I will link to all these wonderful resources in the show notes and then I just didn't do any of that because I don't know newborn life is more oh demanding God. um but I'm actually going to do that for this episode I have like a notes file going for all the references that mm. we've used so like check the show notes there will be information there there will be links and like eat your heart out or click your heart out <laughs> because uh yeah there's a lot of cool stuff there but michael hicks anyways was one of the um authors i had cited for the for an anecdotes article that i had talked about um in our first recording of divers stuff um and he has another uh article for sapoconic and stuff so i'll link to that but that that's a, cool. a medium post too so i'm not sure if it, you had the same one so oh, i wonder you know what else we can do and this is just weird behind the scenes organizing we don't need to do here but i'm gonna say it anyway um we can just put stuff on a, on our link tree on instagram too you know, oh just like make cool a weird document of links and, and that would be super cool yeah yeah oh, it is i do have the same michael hicks article the Yay. 11 hidden illusions you'd have never guessed which is no, like actually, the oh, one that i have you have a different no one. go ahead which uh, is like what this one's called Oh, I lost it. Now I got to click on it again. Hold on. I have literally 200 tabs open. <laughs> uh, 11 hidden illusions you'd have never guessed Joanna Newsom could sneak into her song, Sapoconican. I mean, don't underestimate what we can guess, Michael Hicks. That's what I, was say. <laughs> I can guess them. I might not understand them, but I can guess them. Um, uh, the one that I have is also by Michael Hicks, also on Medium, but it's called The Text Will Not Yield Fleeting Tesserae in Joanna Newsom's Sapoconican. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I'm excited to get there. Me too. Um, yeah. So like the majority of the notes I have for today, at least, are like preliminary stuff. But we can also delve into like the actual, like, I don't know. We can just, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> yeah. What if we do some preliminary stuff and then my notes are actually all related. I'm sure a lot of the preliminary stuff too, but I tried to focus on the first verse. Um, yeah, okay. I do have this really lovely quote from the artist herself in an NPR interview. Um, mm -hmm. She says, Sapoconican is a ragtimey enconium to the forces of remembrance, forgetting, accretion, concealment, amendment, erasure, distortion, canonization, obsolescence, and immortality. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> right? Well summarized, yeah. <laughs> I guess. I love her descriptions. Like her just like pulling like just that was the her. gesture. Exactly. Yeah, pulling yeah. like stars from the sky and piecing them together somehow. Like, yeah. She's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Um, So I have this quote from the New York Times speaking about Sabo Konikin in particular. Um, the quote is, the music in Sabo Konikin hints at antique American styles while it evades them, fluctuating amid ragtime, waltz, and parlor song. Melodies arrive from the stratosphere in Miss Newsom's guileless, quizzical soprano. The lyrics, meanwhile, are packed with, a f- with philosophical musings and historical nuggets. For starters, Sapoconican was the name of a Lenape. Is that the pronunciation of that right? I believe of a so. Le- okay. Of a Lenape Native American village in southwest Manhattan, where Greenwich Village, village is now, one of the many bits of New York City lore that are threaded through the verses, its video clip by which the New York Times means music video, (laughs) directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, shows Miss Newsom singing her way through Greenwich Village as actual New Yorkers ignore her. (laughs) Online, her fans have been seeking... Okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, So that's the New York Times statement on it. Um, And from that, like, I really love the emphasis on how these are, like, American styles of music. So as you guys know, we're not musical experts nor are we even um like at a base level competent in in music stuff um but i love the naming of like ragtime waltz and parlor song sort of themes Mm -hmm. or or kinds of ways we can characterize what the music sounds like for sapokonikin and i think like the fact that it's american is maybe um i don't know significant or relevant or just cool to keep in mind given that we're like very grounded in this uh particular like american city uh or cities i guess you could say depending on the historical like time frame through which we're looking yeah and it's i like that you said grounded because i was thinking that exact thing like how different is it to um be able to place ourselves somewhere specific after the last few albums we're like where the fuck were we who knows? Couldn't tell you. Like, especially in East, um, there was no specific time or place. Um, yeah, so it's nice to at least feel like you maybe know where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the layering that's happening um, and like the, yeah, just the differences in history and time and narration as we move through the song are incredible. Yeah. And like, yeah, totally, totally all of that. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that like the only other time I felt as grounded, I think in her, in the stuff that we've covered so far. Um, but I think also just in her corpus in general is in California. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to me that this is just like the opposite coast of, uh, of California. Cause I think that we talked about this in have one on me, but I think that in divers two there are these east and west themes happening and i have nothing more to say about that right now but at least it's worth keeping in mind like this album or sorry this song um places us us directly in the east in new york city and like the next song after this is called leaving the city like it's it feels very much connected to um 
sort of this like larger story that she's telling in the album. So yeah, I thought that's interesting. Yeah. And I didn't even think about the next one is leaving the city. The bop. <laughs> I'm so excited to get to that so song too. Um, yes. We also, I guess, should mention that there's a music video for the song, which is like a very yes. rare thing in her corpus. Um, it's a really beautiful music video. It's very simple, um, which I think is unexpected, at least for me, considering, yeah. you know, uh, the depth of her music. Um, but I think it also just like emphasizes how important that place and space is for this song. Yes. So about the music video, um, uh, apparently like fans online, the New York times reports says that fans online had like been trying to like look in the video and say like, Oh, look, we can place this as being like here in Greenwich village. And like, this might mean this. But the New York Times contacted Paul Thomas Anderson and he said those correlations are not necessarily there. Mm. And then in a different interview, um, I read that it was the music video was basically for Sapokonikin. The music video for Sapokonikin was basically just like a like afterthought sort of like Paul Thomas Anderson was directing the video for Divers. And I'm just trying to find the quote here, but um, let's see here. Yeah. Okay. So from, this is from Rolling Stone. So in the downtime between setups, they being um, Paul Thomas Anderson and Joe Newsom ventured out into the city streets where Anderson decided to squeeze in a second video for Savakonikin made on the fly while Newsom walked around aimlessly. At one point strolling and singing, she found herself approaching the West village home. She once shared with Sandberg. This unplanned moment would become the video's closing shot, with Anderson's camera lingering near Sheridan Square as Newsom disappears from sight. We did a, a series of long one takes, and that and that was one sorry, and that was the one where we were like, We're done, it's time to get a drink, she says. It was the last one of the night and it was magic. When I walk out of frame, I'm ending up on the front door of the apartment we lived in for four years. Specifically the apartment where I wrote that song. I got goosebumps. For Newsom, who'd just completed an al album preoccupied with the peculiar workings of time, it felt irreducibly significant. Just as the song ended, something, fate, art, dumb luck, uh, returned her to where it began. Whoa, I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? That's absolutely nuts. <laughs> A few episodes ago, I'm sure you heard us say that we made like a list of themes and um, ideas just to keep in mind as we move through. And number one on that list is like circles and cycles. And that's like a, a super potent example of this like natural um, cyclical motion that she that it's the same apartment where she wrote the song too. It's crazy. It's nuts. And like she didn't do it on purpose, it sounds yeah. like. like yeah. She just ended up there. That it was on the fly and that – I mean it makes sense that it's a series of one shots because, um, yeah, I think that's pretty pretty visible in the video. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, also like, you know, obviously she spent many years writing these songs but that she's able to just kind of throw down – um, a video like that so casually blows my mind too. Oh my um, God, me too. <laughs> and me I really too. like that. I like that it wasn't like, um, even this is the outfit I'm assuming, but this is the outfit I'm going to wear. This is where we want this to take place. That it just so casually, 
uh, kind of manifested like that is incredible. Ooh, cool Super fact. Cool. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, she's just like, I guess, wandering around Greenwich Village, which is like roughly what Sabokonikin is, but like the borders don't map on perfectly because of like the changing nature of, of like man-made constructs like borders, which is like a giant theme uh, going on here. So yeah, it's just like very roughly what Sapokonikin was. Um, it became Greenwich Village. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm also adding man-made structures to hmm. borders. Sam made this list of, so yeah, in the anecdotes episodes, we were like coming up with themes to keep in mind throughout the whole album. And Sam in the interim between the last recording and this one made this like gorgeous, like <laughs> circle themed picture with all these themes to keep in mind. I don't even know how to describe it, but I was very impressed. It's like when you're researching for eight hours, it's like, I just want to, <laughs> I just want to do something different for 10 minutes. <laughs> and joyfully like not not yeah. that this is you know a task by any means um but you know i mean it's to me at least for like the feeling for me is that like it is a task but it's all it's like a very enjoyable task mm -hmm. but like also it is research <laughs> it is and you know i i feel the pressure to uh do right by you guys yeah. and by her <laughs> and by you, Nikki. <laughs> you always do right by me, Sam. Oh, golly. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see here. Um, So I'm going to read this. Well, I have a long-ish interview that I... I don't know. I'm just going to read this and I'll cut whatever. I, whatever. Okay. <laughs> So this uh, little tidbit from The Guardian about Sapokonikin, uh goes as follows. So they write, Sapokonikin, a jaunty, radio-friendly earworm that fuses waltz, ragtime, and other musical styles, has proved to be especially ri rich and satisfying for the Delvers. Um, the, song, the title of the song comes from the name of a Native American village that was situated in lower Manhattan, roughly where Greenwich Village is now, right before the Dutch arrived. In simple terms, Newsom explains reluctantly, the lyrics are about the history of a piece of land, the things that happen on the same basic plot of earth. But her exploration of this idea led her to incorporate references to Shelley's sonnet Ozymandias, the work of Australian artist Arthur Streeton, and a history of overpainting, and John Perry Mitchell, the boy mayor of New York City from 1914 to 17. We'll get into it, guys. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um, but she goes on to say, I make the mistake of referring to the preparation that went into writing Sapokonikin as research. I don't know I'd describe what I'm doing leading up to that song as research, she, she says. For me, it's more having a hunch and following through on the hunch, having an almost religious faith in the fact that certain things are connected and I have to lasso them all into the same place. Research. That word feels so cold to me in a way because it's all very compulsive and very emotion driven. So that's, I thought I'd read that in relation to our using the word research. Cause like, yes, it, it's a task, but also it's so interesting and fun and yeah, emotion driven. Very much so. And what I love about researching for all of these episodes is that you find these little like hidden, uh, what's the word? Eggs. I want to say eggs. 
what's the word? Like Easter eggs? <laughs> Easter eggs? Is that what it is? Um, you found these little hidden gems of um, random pieces uh, that you get to by feeling a certain way. Like in researching, um, oh, what was it even? Uh, the Ozymandias poem, like getting back mm. to Greek mythology in some way has been really interesting. Um, and in researching some of these like compound words, um, getting to all these different layered meanings uh, and all of that led by, I feel like this maybe means something different. Yeah, I'm glad she feels she feels a similar way about that. I'm also just adding, um, we have polysemy, polysemy on our list, but I'm adding uh, yes. words. <laughs> like words that have multiple meanings. Mm -hmm. Words that are, I don't even know how to describe it. Words that... Yeah, have multiple meanings at the same time in, yeah, that mean multiple things to the overall structure of the song. Like they contribute several different meanings to the song. It's not just like homophones. It's like this intentional. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Also, another thing that I feel very ill-equipped to talk about is like rhyme schemes and like poetic structures and like meters and stuff like that but I found this quote um, from The Stranger um, so the interviewer says I'm looking at the first and third verses of Sapokonikin and I've never come across this rhyme scheme it looks like you're weaving internal rhyme with end rhyme could you tell me why you chose it she says I don't know if I could tell you why I chose it. I do know that for whatever reason, with this record and with particular songs more than others, I felt this strange kind of inclination. I don't know if it's strange, but I felt this inclination to impose a set of rules over the rhyme schemes and the lyrics that maybe I hadn't done before in the past. The word rules is cold and it's not how I felt when using them. I kind of felt like there was this odd little system of gestures that I could make that in combination with others would lock, would unlock something for me. I don't know why, but with Sapokonikin, so much of that song has to do with permanence and impermanence and the roles that documentation plays in our concept of cultural permanence or cultural impermanence. And maybe because of that, I thought, sorry, I felt the imposition of a lot of weight on each specific word I chose. I don't know why, though. The interviewer says, were you going in, uh, were you going in there thinking about wanting to weave internal rhyme and end rhyme or with some kind of game? She says, not with Sapokonikin. Then she goes to describe that, yes, she did that with leaving, in, uh, leaving the city. Um, and then she refers to Sapokonikin's rhyme scheme as being sort of nice and easy. Um, she says, it took a while to find the right words, but conceptually the rhyme scheme isn't that difficult. The interviewer says, I think the rhyme scheme in Sapokonikin is complicated. You do all that sonic weaving. And then the last three end rhymes stitch back to the first three internal rhymes crazy stuff she says that's definitely true the only reason it was easier for me is that at least in all those various rhyme considerations lined up along the same musical meter in leaving the city there was actually a contrary musical meter that i was overlaying we'll get to that uh, when we get to that um yeah okay i think that's all i have for that so basically uh to us mere mortals, there's complicated rhyme schemes going on in Sapokonikin. To Joanna, it's easy peasy. <laughs> but yeah. I really love that you mentioned um, documentation and this idea that throughout history, 
who is documenting and what is documented is dictated by a very specific group of people. Historically, that's mm -hmm. men in power, white men in power. Um, in a few of the Blessing All the Birds articles, Melissa Marchuano gets into this uh, in great depth. And one of the quotes I love from the article, um, Sapaconican, Memory and Power, Some Early Thoughts and References. Um, and she says, quote, one aspect of the study of memory that I want to forecast is who exactly is hidden, killed, displaced, buried, painted over, forgotten in this song. Many of the references to places, art, and city planning speak to the song's general interest in what is hidden, but yet still close to us. How easy memory is to lose because of the direct intervention of those in power, and how easily it can be revived if we try, if we use the right tools, if we sing the right songs. Hmm. Um, the Lenape village of Sapokonikin, the old prison, the potter's field, they are just below the surface if we care to acknowledge them. Which is just like... such an important thing I think to carry with you as you move throughout your life no matter where you live um just considering what has come before you who has come before you and how that impacts the present day is just like a really beautiful and important idea I think yeah totally and like as Marcherano said as you said Sam like just like who gets acknowledged and who gets like counted as important yeah. or being important enough to be like remembered in a certain way. Um, yeah, obviously that says a lot about culturally, culturally who we are. Um, and, and as Marshana says, like all you have to do is do like be intentional about the remembering. Like you just have to like look and it's right there. But like something that seems scary to me about that is that like, it's it's right there, but also it's like so in danger of not being right there if no one does the remembering. Like if yeah. no one does the work to like remember that there was this Lenape village, like that knowledge when we're speaking about like long term culturally, like over centuries, uh, is so liable to be like distorted or forgotten or just like lost to time as so much of like human history is um and so I think that's like a fear too that like I I at least my interpretation of this song like feel in it is like this like fear of just like not only your life not mattering but like your entire cultural context just being wiped out um yeah yeah the another great quote from this article is just that uh, power is about memory, remembering, forgetting, and the use of violence, death, and displacement to create that. So all of what you just said, 100%. This is so exciting. <laughs> There's such cool themes here. There are. It's an absolutely incredible song, but it is overwhelming. <laughs> oh my God. It's so overwhelming. I have some funny background noise here too. I am um, cat sitting for a friend of mine and she has two incredibly cute cats, but they are really fucking around right now. So just <laughs> I can't hear, okay, but, like, but maybe stalking each other. I was like, <laughs> like they're like showing off for you they're like she's here now we have to put yeah. on a show <laughs> yeah. um it, just one more quote um that i have from the like 
array of interviews that she did for divers. So this one is from Paste. And the interviewer says, let's take a song like Sapoconican. What was the moment you realized you wanted to reference the place that is now known as Washington Square Park and reference how 20,000 bodies are buried there? Um, and so just for people who aren't familiar with New York, um, Washington Square Park is like squarely situated in um, Greenwich Village. And so Newsom says... I think probably the very beginning kernel of that song would have come just from walking around in Washington Square Park and walking around in Central Park as well and walking around in Greenwich Village. There are a few other monuments that are referenced in that song as well that are just sort of buried throughout the village and getting very curious about what those monuments actually represent, what they're memorializing. They're all kind of odd. It's not that it's odd to memorialize the people whom they are memorializing. It's that they commemorate the moments that they're commemorating. And I started reading and thinking about that more and thinking about what we as a culture choose to lionize and what we as a culture allow to be forgotten. And then I started researching, and then I just started researching Washington Square Park and getting more and more fascinated and amazed by what had been layered on top of it. And I was also very fascinated by what was there before. Five stars, Joanna, out of five. <laughs> Ten stars. I wish that she would give, like, I wish that someone, does anyone give tours of New York City based on her references? Because that is an incredible business idea. I will travel and pay <laughs> to do that. I will go see the I, apartment. I will go, like, walk and would, learn. I mean, we could do that, I guess, but like that's, we, that's an investment should, in time that we <laughs> don't necessarily have. You guys, our new Patreon exclusive <laughs> tours through New York City. You know what would be cool though? Like an audio version. Oh, totally. Even. Like, like you know how at museums yes. you can put on like, yes, let's do that. Let's figure that okay, out. Okay, so what we need to do is meet in New York and then walk around <laughs> together with our microphones and... Talk about it. Man, you might be joking. I want to do this. I'm not joking. I want to go to New York anytime. I want to eat all of the food. Oh, my God. Anytime. My brother is coming to visit uh, tonight. Like, he lives in Canada. He was in Toronto for a wedding. He's driving down. Aww, but I'm so nice. jealous because he's – I know. But I'm so jealous because he's going to go to New York on Saturday. And I'm like, oh, I want to come. It's not responsible to go with a newborn baby and, like, COVID and all of that. But, like, oh, my God, I want to go to New York City so badly, especially researching this right now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Noted for future plans. Audio <laughs> tour. I wouldn't be surprised if that already exists, though. I mean, I'm sure, like, you know – historical tours of Greenwich Village exist, but Joanna Newsom themed, I'm going to say probably not. Okay. Noted. Noted. Um, okay. Yeah. I would highly recommend just skimming through at the very least this cultured arm article by Christopher Laws because it is yeah. um, expansive and it's expansive. It's thorough. It's yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, I can't do better research than this. That's for sure. So as a resource, it's been absolutely incredible. Yeah. And like we'll try to we'll try to talk about all the main points in it because I like they're fascinating enough that I think I think that each point is worth like actually getting into, but also like just go read it because he's gonna provide context and just like additional stuff that we're probably not gonna get into the details about. So yeah. Check it out. 
<sighs> okay, anything else? I don't know. <laughs> okay, I have lots of notes on just the first line. <laughs> so Okay, cool. <laughs> we can start then. We can start and spend an hour on this next, on, on the first line. I have eight pages for this first verse. Oh my verse, God. So. Good job, Sam. Yay. That's the thing. Once you start, like, so the first line she sings is, the cause is Ozymandian. (laughs) What? The face Sam was just giving was perfect. (laughs) Just, like, amazement and, like, what are you talking about already? (laughs) I have, I brought the official lyrics with me, which I think is important. Oh, you probably can't see. Because not only is Ozymandian capitalized, cause oh. is also capitalized um and you have a dog named ozymandias <laughs> i do i have a dog named ozymandias after this song obviously, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> be cool if that was just like a random a random choice well, a coincidence uh my cat azime sort of sort of turned out to be a little random coincidence because i like technically named her after the jd salinger story for esme with love and squalor but then like the same year uh i heard esme for the first time so that kind of happened but no this was intentionally after this song i also love just like i don't i don't know if she invented this word like probably not i guess but like to say the cause is ozymandian Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying like i don't know this is like ozymandias yes like yeah I, i love that so I actually didn't notice earlier that cause is capitalized. So what does that tell us before we get into anything else? Because on I have my like Google Doc notes copied from um, official Joanna Newsom lyrics, and it is not capitalized there. Um, so I think stuff like that always tells me not necessarily that, necessarily that it's named, but... Uh, I think I want to compare it to like when we talk about capital T time versus lowercase T time, that it has uh, more authority or more power um, because of its capitalization there. Yeah, totally. It reminds me also of like the time, the time capitalization and like gives me the same, I think in, in Heaven on Me, I feel like there was some part where fate was capitalized with an F. Mm. I'm not sure, but yeah exactly it gives me this vibe of like these forces are like almost like godlike in their power and like sovereignty over us yeah totally um also just a note that that first um lyric is a full sentence we have a capital the cause is ozymandian and a period so statement that's it the cause is Ozymandian. This is a fact. Um, Thank you for having your Divers album with you because that's super so helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no worries. Okay. So what I want to dive into with the lyrics right away is the poem. Oh, shit. I have it open somewhere here. Um, I think it's in this article, too. Do, do, do. Yes. Okay. So I based most of my research for this first line off of the poem Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley. 
Fishy Shelley, um, and it was written in 1818. So I'm just going to read it here. Um, they write, I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor, while these passions read, which yet survived, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, and on the pedestal these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains, round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So, um, I think the first thing that jumps out to me there is, and despair, for the end of the song. Um, but I have a zillion notes about the a poet and... Um, the poem itself. So Percy Shelley, a little bit of background info, was born very wealthy, super educated. He was expelled from university because he was a huge atheist. He was a pacifist and a vegetarian, which I thought was cool. Um, did you watch that video, the analysis? Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'll link to that so in the show notes too. I was it's like, she's so saying good. this in the same order as I have this written down. That's yeah. so funny. <laughs> yes, there's an incredible YouTube video that I don't have the link for right here, but if Nikki has it open somewhere, that's great. Um, it's kind of like a spark notes version on the poem, which I love. Totally. Um, so he ran away from home at age 16. And this is just like a weird connection. He married his second wife was Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein yeah <laughs> what and that is one of the earliest examples of at least in this video's opinion of science fiction writing yeah um, that's just like a crazy connection i had no idea of um and percy drowned at sea while sailing to italy at age 29 so like ding 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 divers delving water all of those things um totally and and I think maybe that might come up thematically in um, Waltz. Is mm. it Waltz? I think it's Waltz uh, of the 101st Lightborn. But we'll put a pin in that. Let's just remember that Percy Shelley was married to Mary Shelley. Oh, cool. Okay. And sorry, no, 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 sorry, no, 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 no. My brain was not working. Drowned. That he drowned. drowned is the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So. Shelley was known as a romanticist. This type of poetry was defined as a strong dislike of the industrialized world and embracing of the natural world, love of the supernatural, use of ordinary everyday language, which I thought is interesting considering we're talking about a song with a ton of these compound words and polysemitic words and, um, you know, always like a really expansive vocabulary. Um, Shelley's considered part of the new age of romanticism. Uh, it set itself apart by these like older romantic poets by setting poetry in past history, um, which is just like an interesting little snippet. I loved that, like in that video, the guy was like, um, 
like Wordsworth was an example of like the first generation of romantic, is it romanticist? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I think so. Like romanticist, romantic poets. And like, it was almost like a, like 90s grunge rebellion against that first generation because they were like sellouts. So like Wordsworth started working as like a tax man, I think it was. Yes, and so yes. <laughs> I love that the second generation of poets was like, no, fuck that. Like, we're not going to place our shit in contemporary society because, like, everybody in our contemporary society is a sellout. So we're going to go back to, like, Egypt or, like, Ramesses. Ramesses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I love that kind of fuck you vibe of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that generation of poetry, for sure. Rebellious. Okay, I have this random note on themes here. Past me. I'm wondering what I was thinking, but it says themes. Um, I'm assuming this is a quote from the video that Nikki has a source for, but I apparently didn't save. Um, and the theme is, those with power are deluded in their belief that power is supreme and invincible. The idea yeah. that the power of leaders does not last, but art does. Uh, which I think is a really important thing to keep in mind as we move through the song, but also just like, um, you know, watching the music video and listening to the song and thinking about the place that this song uh, happens in, that this, the, the space of this song, how important art is and who art chooses, like Nikki said earlier, to memorialize and who gets forgotten um yeah so on I I love that I think it's super important um uh and in that video I think he was saying something like I want to say at the time George III was king of England and king fourth the fourth yeah okay King George the fourth and apparently he was just like super um like war hungry like he like was like very like aggressive and seemed really arrogant and the video was sort of um laying out the case uh for the idea that the poem's commentary on that like arrogance of the powerful thinking that they're all powerful thinking that they uh are the shit basically um are untouchable um that that theme was like also a commentary on the time about that king so while it was about uh, Ozymandias, the king of kings, um, this ancient Egyptian king. Um, it was also simultaneously about this commentary on contemporary English society. Yeah, and I love that duality there too, that you're able to touch on a few different um, a few different of these greater sources of power with a single a single theme is really important. Um, okay, so this is just a few notes on the poem. I think this is just from Wikipedia. Um, and I like these notes just um, considering the narrator of Sappho Konikin. Um, So it says, The rhyme scheme reflects the interlocking stories of the poem's four narrative voices, which are its I, so that's one, the traveler, the statue's architect, and the statue's subject himself. The I met a traveler who framing of the poem is an instance of the once upon a time storytelling device. 
Um, scholars such as professors Nora Crook and Newman White have viewed the work as critical of Shelley's uh, contemporaries George IV with the statue's legs, a coded reference to the then prince regent's gout ugh, and possible mm. sexually transmitted diseases and Napoleon Bonaparte. That the poem is connected to Napoleon is indeed the 21st century accepted reading. Um, I know we talked a lot about sexually transmitted disease in the Lola Montez episode. Um, I think it was one of her partners. Was it the king that she was Maybe. with? I remember yeah, coming to some forget. sort of conclusion about that, about You're syphilis. About syphilis finger or something, yeah. but I yeah. forget why. I feel like we talked about syphilis finger for the Yeast album art episode too. Yes, I think you're right. Because of the way she was holding it or something? Something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that poem, which I think is a really interesting place to start. Yeah. Because, um, like, okay, so just in case anybody is like me and has a hard time, like, figuring out what's going on just from listening, like, the poem is a description of this traveler who says to the narrator of the poem like hey look um i've come across this uh like statue right and the legs of the statue are like the only two things that are still standing um these huge uh legs but there's no like body attached to it and uh the head is like on the ground at the side of these legs and there's this inscription that says like at the pedestal of the statue, there's this inscription that says, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Uh, but like, there's nothing to look upon. So like, it's just the statue in the middle of a desert. And the the thing that the statue is telling us, that the inscription on the, on the statue is telling us to look at just doesn't exist. So like, I guess we're supposed to think that there was like some sort of empire and like, we were supposed to be so awestruck at this like, lush empire that this ruler is referring to but like what we're actually looking around at is fucking barren nothingness and so it's this uh like right at the outset of this song sapoconic and it's starting uh with this idea of cultural impermanence like this ruler thought he was so powerful and untouchable but like there's literally nothing to him and he's i mean both metaphorically and like literally toppled um uh yeah i love that idea of cultural impermanence and the idea that this is also like a commentary on the impermanence of power um that this statue was erected to um kind of symbolize um the power that this ruler had and the fear that it might have imparted on the people around them and how ironic it is that, you know, this this tiny part of the statue is still standing when literally nothing else uh, from this empire is. Um, yeah, I think that's just a really interesting commentary on on all of those things. Yeah, and like gets right away into the theme of monuments too, um, yes. which as Joanna was saying is like a um, – if not like a theme, there's like a bunch of monuments referenced throughout the song. And so right away, there's this reference to this monument being the last thing that stands. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing by which we like can kind of remember. 
but not even really remember. Like that's the thing is that like what we're remembering too ends up being distorted based on like our cultural context, but also like what is left. So like, like we don't remember Ozymandias as this like all powerful king, like baked into the idea of this king Ozymandias is the idea that like, look, he was obviously too hubristic. He was too arrogant because like, a part of our memory of him is grounded in this broken statue that is sort of like ironic in and of itself because it's telling us to look in despair at nothing. And I wonder how much that speaks to like the assumptions that, that leaders in the past make and, you know, this exclusion of um, the passage of time in their in their like expectations for the future. So assuming that because you're in power now that that will extend to future generations and that this will always be, um, that you're, you know, you will always hold power in the same way. And it just like fails to leave room for, um, really anything else, like the impact of any, anything. Um, and just like, it's kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? not stubborn, uh, just really limited in your thinking. Yeah, totally. And like, I don't know, you saying that just made me think of like, (laughs) like this is our distorted memory of the powerful. Like, so like, this is how we remember the most powerful figure at the time. Never mind the people that Ozymandias ruled over. Like they don't even get we know nothing about them, right? We barely know anything about the King Ozymandias. And so like, though this um, guy was like way too arrogant in his feeling powerful, uh, like you said, there's like nothing left for anybody else. Like we still at least know that this person was a king. Never mind. Like we don't know anything about the subjects that he ruled over, you know? Um, So there's still, yeah, I don't know. Um, I also just wanted to include this other very short poem that he wrote because I really loved it in connection with like the themes of this album and flight and diving. Um, Mm. this poem was written in 1820 and it's called to a skylark. Um, so it goes, We look before and after and pine for what is not. Our sincerest laughter with some pain is fraught. Our sweetest songs are those that tell of saddest thought. Um, I really, really love this one, not only because my favorite songs are all of the sad songs, (laughs) but um, some notes on this one that I really appreciated were... Man, by contrast to the Skylark, cannot achieve this perfect uh, equanimity. Equanimity? Why can't I pronounce that? Serenity or solace. Mankind is troubled by thought of the past and future. Man fears death. Man pines for what is not, for phantoms and illusions. Purity cannot be achieved. Laughter is always mingled with pain. Human songs, in contrast to those of the Skylark, are mixed with sadness are those that tell of saddest thought. 
Mankind is imbued with hate, pride, and fear. Even without those limitations, even if we could avoid all pain, we could still not equal the song of the skylark. The skill of the bird's song exceeds all other sounds and even treasures to be found in books. This is because the skylark's song is unearthly, spiritual, and ethereal. The author seeks to learn from the skylark's song the secret of gladness, of happiness. If the author can learn even half of uh, that which causes joy, that harmonious madness, then mankind would listen to the author's poem as he does the Skylark song. The Skylark song is a metaphor, a symbol of nature. Um, it made me think a lot more of anecdotes and mm. a lot of the uh, like up and down movement that was happening there, but also just like birds <laughs> in general. <laughs> birds in general. Uh. As a constant in her music. <laughs> Um, yeah, totally. That was a beautiful poem. I really like that too. Yeah. Um, I was sorry. I was just trying to figure out, you said that that one was published in what, 1820 you said? Mm-hmm. I think so. so. And then it just got me on the thought of like, how old was he when he wrote these poems? So he died in 1822 and at that point he was 29. So he would have been 27 when he wrote the poem you just read and 20 fucking Five when he wrote Ozymandias? It was just a little baby. Jesus. It's just a little baby, 25-year-old pondering about the permanence and impermanence of the ancient Egyptian kings. Yeah, uh, and I guess that makes sense with with like that um strong opposition to power that you would be feeling it more in your youth. Um, mm. at least compared to the poets before him, who, like you said, were accountants. Um, or at least that one was accountant, was an accountant because, um, I'm sure poetry in the 1800s didn't really pay the bills. <laughs> um, okay. Did we say, I was just trying to like remember, did we say that Ozymandias was the Greek word for the king? Ramses? No, that's what I have next, but go. Oh, okay. Go. Sorry. No. No, no, you do it. You do it. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is just from um, Wikipedia. Um, Ozymandias was the name by which Greek sources referred to as Ramesses, Ramesses II. The third pharaoh of the 19th dynasty of Egypt, Egypt Ramesses is, also, is often regarded as the greatest ruler of the new kingdom for the series of military campaigns he undertook in the Levant covering the extent of modern Syria. Ramesses succeeded in reasserting Egyptian control over Canaan, but shorn of an Attic frame of reference for today, the name takes on a more romantic hue. Ozymandias is the title of the best recognized poem. Um, Before uh, Shelley wrote the poem about Ozymandias, um, I think it's it's understood that he was inspired by... um, the British Museum in London acquired this this uh, fragment of the Ramesses statue. Um, it dates from the 13th century BC, depicts the pharaoh's head, and continues to be one of the British Museum's signature works of Egyptian sculpture. Um, while the statue would not arrive in London until 1821, the announcement of its purchase is believed to have inspired Shelley's poem. Mm. I think it's just valid to mention, too, that this is obviously a ma- among you know millions of these stolen artifacts of the british museum like this is just a 
fucking graveyard of culture that did not does not belong to Britain in any way. Um, and it also is not like surprising to me that, uh, you know, a guy living in Britain would be inspired by the acquisition of something like this because it would seem um, probably pretty special and rare and interesting. Um, but that it's there at all is pretty fucked up, very wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know more about that? No, that's the extent that I know. Thank you guys so much for joining us on this sprawling attempt at understanding Zabocon again. Um, what do we say here? We say you can email us. We have an email address that is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com. We have shit. We have an Instagram, which is I hope a hopeless endeavor podcast. A hopeless endeavor podcast. Oh, we have two messages there. Mm-hmm. Who's messaging us? Ah, lovely people. Um yeah, you can send us messages on there. You can like our things. You can listen to our episodes. We have a link in our bio to all the things. Nikki runs our Patreon and our Facebook group. She can tell you about those things. I mean, I've been super absent from the Facebook group just because of baby time. So pardon me for that. Sam has no so pardon necessary. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, but the Facebook group is just a hopeless endeavor, a generation podcast. The Patreon is a hopeless endeavor or no wait, patreon.com slash a hopeless endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, there you can find early episode releases. Sam and I are about to record a bonus episode. So you guys can check that out. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, is this our outro for part one? Let's say it is. So that was part one of Sapo Konikin. Next week we'll be, we'll be back with part two. I'm sure there will be many parts to follow after that. So stick with us. Um, please, we would like that. Yeah, a lot. please. <laughs> if not, so that's and fine. You guys are yeah, that's people. okay. It's all good. But uh, email us your thoughts and theories. Oh, did we say hopelessendeavor at gmail.com? I think you did. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Uh, bye. See you next week. Bye.